Hello, I'm Alex Crow. And I'm Steve Evans. Welcome to Talk of the Times. We've all just done the census. What might we find out and what might we not find out? And was it just a nice bit of therapy, I wonder? We talked to demographer Dr Liz Allen of the ANU. She believes Australians were craving a census this year. And we'll be talking to one of the country's most thoughtful Christians. But first, Liz Allen. COVID has got us thinking about data. Every day we're waiting on the latest figures concerning COVID infections and so on, the hotspots. So it's changed, I think, the way that we think and view evidence. It's geared us toward requiring this constant flow of evidence. And so I think the census has benefited from that this time round. Prior to the 2016 census, there was a lot of discussion around data retention as it related to telecommunications. And I think that the census suffered adversely because of that and the fact that they came out and said, we're collecting names and addresses. And by the way, we're going to hold on to the data for a little bit longer, that names and address data. But this time round, whether it's because the ABS has had more funding or, or what it is, that's definitely the case. The ABS has had more funding. The education campaigning has been really top level, good stuff, informing people of the importance of census, getting community on board around people defending the census. And, and in fact, the ABS established a program called Census Supporters, which is something I've strongly advocated for. We're kind of hanging on to this data that reflects us. And everyone's saying, I didn't get to say this or I didn't get to say that about myself. And I wonder how much of that's related to COVID. Yeah, at least even in the conversations that I've had this week with people, they've it's been the exact same conversations. I, I, I didn't get to say how many hours volunteering I did. I didn't get to report how many cars our family have. I didn't get to say how many pets. You've really hit the nail on the head there, I reckon. I suspect people just want to be heard. People are desperate to be seen. And I wonder how much of what we're seeing around census this time round is a feeling of maybe of disempowerment or alienation and wanting government to notice our existence, I guess. But it's not the role of census. The census is quite narrow in its focus, actually. It can't measure everything. That's not its remit. That's not its purpose. The census is largely to understand the demography of us, you know, from age, income, inequality, and how that varies across geography, really. Sample surveys, on the other hand, have a role to understand the number of pets, the hours we spend in voluntary work, and so on. But I I just keep coming back to this thing. There is a thirst for wanting to be heard. I wonder how we can address that. It's a normal human need to be seen. There are so many elements of me I want to be seen. I want to have the ability to turn on the TV and watch people that look or sound like me on the TV presenting news or or in drama. I want a poor kid to be reflected in news presenters and so on. I still feel the disempowerment of not being included in 1996 census because I was homeless at the time and I believe where I was living was not a known place for enumeration. I suspect we're seeing a lot of that in public sentiment at the moment. 
there are all of these parts of our ourselves as a nation not actually being recognised or celebrated. The census has some role there to help us understand us, but it can't address the, the deep yearning to belong. You're striking a bit of a chord suddenly with me because I enjoy doing that census and I felt as though suddenly I was talking to somebody and we're in this strange world now where we clearly are a society, but we're atomized. Mm. We're all in lockdown, even though we're not in lockdown. We feel as though we're isolated from people. Yeah. So the census was a bit like therapy. I totally agree, actually. And I wonder if, if it wasn't enough therapy. <laughs> so, so let me explain that. So this idea that we're all physically distant, we're socially distant. There's this kind of disconnect between us as individuals and our communities that we we would have belonged to, our friends, our our colleagues, there's so much disconnection from our our normality that I wonder if the lack of calls for boycott, which we saw in 2016, by the way, is as a result of that one time where we could come together as a nation where we were all in this together. We didn't see calls for boycotts. We didn't see calls for sabotage. We didn't even see a campaign for, you know, drawing a penis on your census form, which we've previously seen, right? Rather, this time round, it was a cause almost for celebration that we, we stop on that one night and together as a nation, we are together. We were in this together in that one moment of time, despite the physical distancing despite the social disconnection. Liz, we are in a moment right now where everything is very different to how it was 18 months ago. Do you think that there is a possibility that people were excited because maybe when these results were coming out, they were going to tell us something about the society? And is that, is that true? Are we going to learn much from this? Something I'm noticing quite a bit of is a thirst for knowledge, kind of, did it gauge this about, you know, vaccine rollout? Did it measure how I felt about COVID? Did it measure the impacts of COVID on me? It will measure a lot of the COVID impacts, just not directly. We will know the impact of COVID on on individuals, particularly in lockdown, because we will see from questions on your travel to work, your hours worked, your income possibly, and whether or not you've moved in the last 12 months or five years. We'll see all of these, I guess, a suite of statistics that will indicate the disruptions that COVID has had on on individuals and on communities. I think it'll also highlight an inequality that we've always known existed, but we're never able to put our finger on because COVID has done that quite uniquely. If we look at New South Wales, for example, that divide, you can actually draw a line between the haves and the have-nots and how infections have occurred in the Western Sydney areas. That inequality is stark. And we've, we've dismissed inequality in this country at our own peril. I'm hopeful that census will shine a light on that, will help us inform our post-pandemic recovery but also help us redress inequalities that for too long we've looked away from. Dr Liz Allen, 
There was only one non-compulsory question on the census form, your religion. The expectation is that the census will show that the number of Australians who say they're Christian will drop below 50%. Does that mean then that we're a non-Christian country? It doesn't, according to Dr Mark Stevens of the Centre for Public Christianity. I think what they tell us is that Australia's old situation where people would affiliate with the Christian religion by default, which has probably been the case for the vast majority of the last century, even into this century, is now ending. And that what you see is a group of uh, people who will only affiliate by choice or will largely affiliate by choice rather than by tradition. So in the past, 90% in the early parts of the 20th century affiliated with the Christian religion. Now coming into uh, the new millennium, into the new century, uh, increasingly people will not affiliate uh, because they don't attend and they don't see any particular meaningfulness in affiliating with something that they're not actively committed to. So I think the thing we learn is the disaffiliation of people from from the Christian traditions But at the same time, I think we don't learn what that is necessarily going on for them with regards to their spiritual beliefs. So it may be that those people are still uh, people who are open to belief in God, even open to particular practices like prayer. But it may be that they no longer see a connection with the institutions of the Christian religion and they might have a more personal or bespoke spirituality that they're developing. How do you mean... If I tick the none box by religion, how does that mean that I'm still religious? really depends on what we want to define religion as. So when somebody's ticking no religion, we know this particularly from uh, surveys, for example, in the States, in the United States, where there's a similar phenomenon happening, that those people often subdivide into far more broader categories. So some of them are actually atheists and indicating they no longer believe in God, but some are agnostics and some are people who would identify as nothing in particular. Uh, people who don't identify with any one particular religious tradition, but remain open to spiritual beliefs. And so because the question is asking, do you identify with this denominational institution or this uh, formal religion? It's really asking a question about one's connection to a tradition and to an institution rather than a survey of somebody's beliefs. So you would argue that as those figures go down, and of course they may not go down, but assuming they do go down, it doesn't mean that we in Australia are getting more godless. It doesn't have to mean that we're getting more godless. We would need a different survey to work out exactly what's happening in people's spiritual beliefs and probably a far more detailed interview survey rather than just a tick a box census. So it can't you can't really draw a conclusion on exactly what Australians are believing uh, one way or the other. Uh, what we can draw a conclusion on is the degree of institutional identification, religious affiliation, but we would need to do a different type of survey to work out what's going on with people's spiritual beliefs. Dr. Mark Stevens, and before that, Dr. Liz Allen. And thank you for listening to Talk of the Times. See you next week.